Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use GATG. That's GATG. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code GATG, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. Welcome to Grilling at the Green After Hours, conversation that took place after the broadcast ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, everybody. Welcome to After Hours here on Grilling at the Green. Uh, this portion of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Golf News Net. Get the latest news, equipment, reviews, betting odds, and all things golf at golfnewsnet.com. Uh, and uh, from the amateur uh, tour to, uh, to the pro tour, Golf News Net covers them all. And also uh, Birdie Ball. This portion of it is brought to you by Birdie Ball. Birdie Ball is the limited flight practice golf ball. Birdie Ball is the best golf training aid invented this century. Create your own backyard driving range, which I have done. Uh, find out more at birdieball.com. Uh, John Breaker and his crew run that outfit over in Colorado. Great people. So we're talking with uh, Trip Bowden today about his books, his golfing experiences, his catting experiences. Um, Trip, what do you think is probably overall the most important thing you learned while working at Augusta National? Oh wow, the most important thing I've learned. Um, well, it's gonna come as a surprise to some folks, but uh, that the members out there and their guests, you know, kind of industry and celebrities and athletes, um. Once they're inside those gates, they're just like one of us. And I always thought it was really cool. And I was thinking, where else in the world could someone like a vice president of the United States need my advice for four and a half hours? Yeah. They need you. They need the players need the caddies for four and a half hours. And, and I mean, it makes you feel, it makes you feel important. But you know, I like to feel important. But uh, my dad once joked, he said, uh, he's a son that just like you. They put the pants on, you know, one leg at a time. The pants just happen to cost about seven hundred dollars, and yours cost like thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's the difference, son. But other than that, they're just like you. It, it was true that they were. I mean, extremely humble, kind. It was so rare to meet a wank. And I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting too that it was the uh, the members that had the the, the least. I think such thing as having the least amount of money, like say four ten million versus a hundred. Those guys tended to be the I don't know what they at least nice, but the guys that had the, the, the crazy money were just, it was like they didn't have a dime. They just were so nice and kind and just respectful. And yeah, it was a great place to, to, to learn the game. I mean, learn the caddy side of the game and, and, uh, at friends. In fact, I, I caddy for one guy named David Warden, um, got for off and off for like the five seasons. And, uh, he ended up, but we were walking down 14, uh, fairway. And uh, he could always hit me on 14 green. He'd go, he'd tell me he needed to get a sleeve of balls. And he'd take a tie out and drop a $20 bill in there and hand it back to me. Very discreet. 
Uh, but we're walking down 14, and um, I said, how, how clean do we have to keep this before I tell the story? Uh, well, this is uh, this is internet only now, so you can say whatever you want. Okay, cool. And yeah. I won't drop any bombs on you. But, well, that's okay. Uh, anyway, walking down uh, 14, and he says, Triple, what are you going to do with your life? And you can't carry forever. And I said, No, I don't know, David. And uh, he was actually the CEO of McCann Erickson, the big advertising agency. Up right. In New York. And uh, he said, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't know, David. He said, can't pay forever, you know. I said, I know that. He said, well, what do you know about advertising? I said, I don't know shit. He said, you're perfect. Let's go. I said, go where? He said, New York. I said, for what? He said, you're going to write copy for me. I said, I am. And uh, next thing I know, I've got a plane ticket to New York. And I uh, wrote copy for a year. And then... Um, it's funny, I didn't get interviewed for the job, and I was looking back on my life because after uh, my year in New York, um, where it's very expensive, by the way, as many people probably know, and uh, I got to where I could either uh, eat or drink, or, but I couldn't do both. And I remember standing there with hardly anything in my pocket. I had these apples and bananas and a six-pack of tall boy Coors Light that's on the counter. It's free in Delhi. And she said something to the effect of, you know, 24, 29 or something like that, and I said, I got 20 bucks. So I said, keep the food. I'll take the beer. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing I know, I ended up going back to uh, Atlanta. I met uh, a woman named Cherry Harroff through a mutual friend, and she hired me to uh, to write copy for her PR firm. And then we ended up actually becoming uh, partners in uh, an advertising agency and did that for gosh, almost 15 years. Did a lot of hospitality and, and things like that. But, you know, that. If it weren't for Freddie, you know, putting me on David's bag, knowing who David was and how he could help me, I'm just not telling what would happen in my life. Right. So I could say that Freddie Bennett, you know, the caddy master of the guest, that he didn't, you know, tell the story of my life. He edited it. Yeah. And without him, I wouldn't, I certainly would not, would not be here. I just, just amazing things. And uh, just an aside, uh, when I was writing uh, PR for, or uh, yeah, press releases for Terry's uh, U.S. consulting company, one of the clients was head sportswear. They, you know, they were big back in the day, and, and one of their clients was uh, Andre Agassi, who was a really cool dude, really straightforward. I mean, excellent dude to chat with. But uh, I was asking, you know, what kind of money does it pay Andre Agassi to play, you know, the, the head sports racket? And uh, his agent said, nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? Because he doesn't want money for it. He plays it because he likes it. And if he ever decides he doesn't like it anymore, he's not going to play it. But he's not playing it for the money. I thought, how cool is that? But he would, you know, tout it. We could advertise him, all that stuff like normal, but he wouldn't take it down. Wow. He played it because he liked it. I don't know how many people do that these days. I wouldn't say any, probably. So tell me about, I can't remember what you called her. Miss New York? New York City? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I might have called her Wall Street. Wall Street, that's right. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Um... <laughs> Long before the term cougar was possible, possible was a was a word in our lexicon. Uh, let's just say she was thirty nine and I wasn't. Got it. I was I was I was twenty six. But she worked on uh, Wall Street. She had money in her pocket and needed a companion, and we actually had a lot of fun. Uh, but then the inevitable happened, and she told me she loved me, and I just smiled, and that wasn't the answer she wanted. Yeah. Yep. So things went a, went a little south after that. But she, uh, she introduced me to proper Italian food. And uh, I told her, you know, I love spaghetti. And she took me to this Italian restaurant in New York uh, near 81st and 3rd, I believe it was. 
and they they bring out um, spaghetti for them. It's an appetizer. Right. Looking at it like it's a dead animal. <laughs> it's <dang> spaghetti. <laughs> He say the night did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was an inter- interesting breed of cat. She, uh, her mother was uh, from Alabama, and I mean, the bading ding kind of Alabama, right? I, mean, I can say that because I've got family from that area, and I'm a little bading ding myself as well. But uh, her dad was second generation Italian, and that made for quite the woman. Let me say, she had green eyes too. It sparkled. Wow. It wasn't really sparkling that night though, when I told her that wasn't my mom's spaghetti, which is a bad thing to say. Yeah, that's... That, that, was a, that had to go too well. You might as well pull out a can of Franco-American SpaghettiOs out of your pocket and put it on the table, you know. It's just not going to work out. <laughs> well, actually, I love being weenies. That's still my go-to. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, growing up with it. Um I just, I think, I think everybody who's done some traveling and living in different areas and that probably has a Wall Street in their history somewhere. Um, they may not talk about it, but yeah. pretty sure there's there. <laughs> so, you, you know, you know, it's just, so how much golf do you get to play? Do you get to play any anymore or do you play anymore? Uh, I well, when the kids came along, they they kind of came my golf game. Um, I played very little, and then uh, golf just it takes up so much time, and it's just hard to justify, you know, five or six hours. Right. And there's so much going on in life, and so much to do. But then I had uh, some back issues, and had that L five L four S one surgery that put me out for a few years. And then um, I'm actually going to be playing. I hadn't touched the club all year, but I'm going to play with my dad at the. Uh, Tom Edel Golf Club. I don't know if you know it. Yeah. It's in South Carolina. Yeah. Great, great track. Um, actually, I'm McKenzie design, um, ultimately. And we're playing in what's called the Devereux Milburn tournament. It usually, usually played in the spring right before the Masters. And in fact, it used to be the uh, Pro Am before they built the Par 3 course. Oh, there you go. Interesting little, yeah, interesting little tidbit here. Um, I mean, some of the greats of the game have won it. You know, there's Hogan, Demerit, Sneed. My dad and I were fortunate enough to win it one year back in 98 actually well, good, for like the, good for you good for you out there we say yeah yeah all, all the greats are on that board you know you got the merit hogan sneed bowden bowden you know all the greats <laughs> i i uh so i won the kids play the ball, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing that the first time like i said all year anyway go ahead no i was going to tell you i won the kinzu open and if you don't know what kinzu is it's a town that doesn't exist anymore it was a lumber town in oregon and they supplied everything, housing, um, school, everything for the people that live there. And they built them a six hole golf course. And it's the only rated wow. six hole golf course in the United States, or at least it used to be up until a couple of years ago. Now that might've changed. I have no idea. And it's way over in kind of Eastern Oregon and, uh, Painted Hills beef had a tournament quite a number of years ago. And, and, uh, I went over there and we won the tournament. So my only, wow. it's not the only tournament we've ever won on, on as far as a team deal, but I got a belt buckle. It says the champion of Kinzu open. Now there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I never heard of a six hole golf course. Yeah. You play it three times and you try to stay out of the way of the elk and the critters. And so it's uh, <laughs> putting's a little tougher. 
you've got certain things you have to put over and around, but, uh, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a silly thing, but it's a lot of fun. Um, Sounds like your kind of place. Yeah, yeah. I believe me, I fit in there. I fit in very well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. <I can> see that. <laughs> excuse me. What um, what your wife think of all this stuff? Your your books and your traveling and your golf stories and all that. Well, as we've gotten uh, older and further into our marriage. I don't think I'm quite as funny as I once was. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she's very supportive, but uh, she like me, which is it, uh, perhaps I would say brought in a bit more money. But one of the things I do, uh, which I haven't been able to do, because since the COVID thing hit and I'm, you know golf changed as far as member guests and you know, dinners and things like that, is I would go to uh, various clubs across America, all over really, and I'd be the quote evening's entertainment, um, and the books would be pre-sold as a two prize. Sure. So it's a, it's a great, great little gig there to, to do, but uh, all my stuff dried up until uh, I will be doing some events in Ohio uh, the week before Masters. But everything that I normally would, would have done in the spring and the summer and even early into the fall was all canceled or rearranged. So it's been a bit of a drought, but uh, my wife is extremely supportive. Her name is Kim. Such about him. She's an attorney in town, actually, which, is, which helps put food on the table when I'm yep, I get it. bringing in blank. No, I get it. I get it. She's my angel. And it's always good to have an attorney in the family. I don't care. Yeah. About <laughs> and hopefully they're on your side. Yeah. Yeah. Except when they come in and look over the top of their glasses and go, boy, did you screw up? And so, <laughs> and I've seen that look a few times. So <laughs> it's all good. All men out in the world have at least once or twice in their life. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, well, you watch after the election, uh, we will miraculously get better in this country, um, depending on who wins. That quite a bit. Yeah. I just think that's, I think we'll be back to semi-normal next spring. I mean, we've already made it, what, six months with this silliness. So, you know, another six months, we should be knocking it out of the park. I hope you're right. I'm ready to get back to whatever normal is. Whatever normal is. So, normal you, right now. so you've got an abundancy of tickets for this year's Masters? Is that what you told me? <laughs> <laughs> How many you need? Yeah, about 100. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can find them laying around because it's really not doing anybody any good this year. No. Not, so weird not a lick. Not a lick. Um, any Anything that... Uh, um, that you want to share, especially like trip with, you know, we've got young guys that they're, they're bloggers and they're golf mm -hmm. writers. And I have come to the conclusion that there is a golf podcast for every three golfers in this country. Now there's hundreds of them. I looked them up the other day. I saw the list and went, Oh my God. Um, but what's, you know, your writing experience and stuff. I mean, you talked about McCann Erickson and your, and your PR firm partnership and all that. And I'm sure that prepped you to start writing books at some point, but any words of wisdom you can give out to uh, people that think they want to become a professional writer and especially a professional writer around the golf world. Oh, wow. Um, I think the best writing 
well, Mott's professor, uh, Dr. Walter Evans, told me there's no such thing as writing, only rewriting. And but he said you got to have something to, to rewrite, making something to edit. So the most important thing to me, to, to great writing, really good writing, honest writing, um, true writing, is to write. Not on the computer, put a pen in your hand, get some lineless paper, not lined, but lineless, almost like put you know, like a poster right. or sketch pad is what I use, like a sketch pad or a sketch pad, mm-hmm. and then just. You have your idea, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting there with a pen in your hand, and then just write, just like you and I are talking. If I would have thought about what I was going to say to you today in the, you know, your earlier interview and also this podcast, I wouldn't even be able to get my name out. Right. Writing, really good writing is reaction. So, and then just roll it out, whatever's inside you, all the way to the finish. And then you go back and look at it. Just like I wouldn't edit our conversation until it was over. Right. So it, when it's not over, it's not over. You right. don't have anything to edit, so you don't have anything to rewrite. So I can tell any aspiring young writer, what is the secret to great writing? It's not a secret. It's fundamental. Right. Not a Band-Aid. It's a fundamental. Yep. I think right. Writers write. I think Stud Sterkle said something like that, too. He said, you know, they've always said the biggest uh, obstacle is the blank page or whatever. And he just said, no, it was, excuse me, it was Norman Mailer. He got up and he said, you got to write something every day. If you're going to be a writer, you got to write something. And uh, just kind of goes along with what you're saying there, because um, a lot of people think of themselves as writers and they're going to write the great American novel or this story or the great book of, uh, you know, South Carolina philosophy or something like that. And uh, But if you don't put a pen to the paper, it doesn't get done. Very right. Doesn't get and this thing said about writing every day. My uh, editor, Freddie and me, a guy named Mark Weinstein, up in New York, he's fantastic. He's a hell of an editor. And amazingly enough, he didn't, he knew so much about golf. He didn't even play. He's just one of those sports freaks that just know it, you know, a little bit about everything. Right. Or a lot about everything in, in Mark's case. But he told me, he said, Trip, you know, you got to write every day, even if you are good at it. He said, otherwise, it, it, writing is a muscle and you know, atrophy if you don't use it every day. Just like in golf. I mean, for every day of golf, yeah, and I don't have enough days anymore left in me to make up for everything I missed. So, <laughs> <laughs> neither do I. <laughs> you know, that's just There's a lot of truth. That I know. Um, sorry, I'm interrupting. Uh, growing up, I, mean, I would go literally years without uh, missing a day of golf practicing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the hell happened to me. But never, never got too far with it. I was a, uh, I was always, actually, I was amazed. Uh, Especially in college, because we, we were Division Two at Augusta at the time, but you can always move up. So in golf, we played Division One, and so we played, you know, with Florida and Georgia and all those kind of people. And sure, I remember playing with a guy named. Uh, it was a long time ago. He was a he was a number four guy for Florida, and it was a guy named Nolan Hinky. And he shot sixty five on me, and I shot seventy four. I thought I did pretty good, and he just absolutely waxed me, and I was like, "Damn!" I was always amazed at how good the shitty players were on the other teams. Yep, compared to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm number four guy with me, you know, I'm shooting 74 and I'm happy. And, and then, but their guys were, you know, Norman Hinky went on the, the tour and, uh, Azinger was another guy like that. Yeah. But the reason people often ask me, you know, why don't you pursue golf as a career? And I said, well, it all boils down to, a, uh, uh, qualifying round with a guy named Roger Rowland and a couple other team members. Roger was exempt and perhaps the, I guess the most natural ball striker 
I've ever seen in my life. And just pure golfer. I mean, he was a pure golfer. He could moonwalk in golf shoes back when they had spikes. Oh, wow. He could do that. <laughs> he could also break down. Roger was an interesting cat. But it's uh, February. It wins Highland, and he's exempt. You know, so he's just out there having fun with it. And, uh, but I'm trying to qualify for the tournament. And uh, we're getting on 18 TV, and Roger's real cocky, and the bad thing was he could back it up. So he said, Chipper, what's the course record? I thought, what kind of thing is that to say, you know, right now? And I was two under. I'm playing my ass off. All I got in me. I said, I believe that's 64. He said, that's what I thought. He said, Eagle here gets it. And I went, Eagle. And I was one of those who could remember every, everybody's shot. Right. I went back in my mind. And sure enough, he was 18. He's going to shoot the course record. He's going to birdie in 18. He shoots 65. I part to shoot 70. I thought, here's a guy here who's the moonwalk. And golf shoes, and he's just messing around, and he's beating about five shots on my best day ever. Right. So I went back to the house, and I told Doc, I said, I appreciate your effort and, and all that you've done for me and your willingness to sponsor me on the, on the tour. I'm going to find another way to spend your money. I ain't going out there. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, and that was it. And I had no regret. That day right there, I started to go plenty. said, so a man's got no limitations, and I, I knew mine that day. Yep. So didn't, I... didn't change my love for the game at all. I was, Oh no! I, I love to teach it. I love to teach it when I do play it, actually. But that was uh, that was it for my my tour pro aspirations. And I'm okay with that. Um, one last question here. I've been kind of yeah. kind of saving it for the in the podcast thing here. What did uh, Freddie really think of uh, uh, Frank Strahan? <laughs> do you know you know the story? Uh, yeah, I know a lot about that guy, and I'm just always curious of what people thought about him. That's uh, how you said with anything. I uh, thought he had a, a great way of cussing, and especially a, a way of uh, saying in ways that, like, it, it could be a room full of members and me, and only I would be able to hear the word. Yeah. And I can hear him, I can hear him right now. If you were asking that question, he would say, well, he's a motherfucker now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, he Trey was catting for him when he got kicked off. He kept hitting balls into the greens. Yeah. You know, so he played one ball. And Trey was young. I mean, he was like 15 years old. But it was Strand that got, got kicked off, and Trey never catted again either. I think he went off to join the Army not long after that. Huh. Huh. Well, I know he was... Uh, mm, spoiled was the best way to put it at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know anything about the name personally. But. Oh, I just I've read tons of stuff about him, and I've read read that story a million times in a dozen different versions, and read some more about him, and uh, you know, and even when they went back and interviewed him, like when he was in his seventies, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's still alive. I haven't followed it that close, but he was still complaining about stuff. Like, let it go, dude. Yep. Yep. It was. Yeah, I think that story's in the match. Yeah, it is. I believe. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Oh, speaking, speaking of stories, can I wrap up uh, the podcast with one of my favorite Freddy stories? Sure. Fire away. Okay. All right. Two good old boys going out hunting, right? You were talking about you hunting earlier. Yep. And uh, one of them has to bust a piss and he, you know, pulls out his joint there and proceeds to take in a wee and 
rattlesnake jumps up and bites him right on the joint. He's like, oh, I'm So he's uh, lying on the ground in serious pain, as you might imagine. And his buddy says, hang on, hang on, just hang on, hang on, hang on. It's going to be okay. I'm going to go get the, get the doc, get him over here. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. So he runs through the woods to the doc's house, tells him what happened. Doc says, I would love to come help, but I don't have time. I got to go meet the Witter Johnson. He said, but take this scalpel. He says, what am I supposed to do with it? He said, just cut an incision where the bite is, suck out the venom, spit it out, everything will be fine. So his buddy goes, okay, okay. And he runs back and sees his buddy there on the ground, writhing in pain, holding his joint. And uh, his buddy holding his joint and goes, oh, geez, what did Doc say? His buddy says, oh, Doc said you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Oh, oh Trip Mountain. Thanks, buddy. It's been a pleasure to meet you and talk with you and uh, enjoyed your book. Um, Going to read the other ones, and uh, you're always welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. I had a great time. Great time. Yeah, and if you don't mind telling your listeners that if they do want to get a inscribe and sign and personalized copy yep. of any of the books, just to jump on my website, which is www. P-R-I-P-P-Bowden, There you go. You that. There you go. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I sure appreciate it. That you, was fun. You got it. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another edition of After Hours and uh, have some more fun. Take care, everybody.